Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and I'm here to introduce the next six episodes of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. For those that don't know, if you go to my blog, coffeeforthebrain.com, I have launched a new free online six-week course called Purposeful Play with Lego, in which we're going to be looking at six different thematic weeks of a variety of different build challenges focused around creativity, communication, and critical thinking, and assessments, and, and subject matter, and things like that. And, and part of the class, every Monday for the next six weeks, I release the next week of challenges, and designs, and conversations, and things to keep the educators engaged. But with that comes a podcast of a featured educator, a person who I believe can bring a lot of new insights and challenge our thinking around play through the infusion of Lego. And so as you're listening to this podcast, even if you're not part of the course, there's still so much for you to gain and seek value in. But as you're listening and you're not part of the course, you can just head to coffeeforthebrain.com and over on the sidebar you'll see the, the Lego build of the heart with the purposeful play. And you can feel free to join us. We currently have over 90 educators from literally all over the world. The majority of educators are actually not in the United States, which is super exciting. So this is the first episode of the Purposeful Play with Lego podcast as part of the Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, in which we're going to be taking a look at Lego through the lens of creative thinking. As always, enjoy, and please like, subscribe, and share to all who you think would benefit. Let's go. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug and we are here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And for many of you who have followed my journey online, you know that we are preparing to launch a online purposeful play with Lego course that's free just to help empower educators to get excited about hands-on learning, play in the classroom, and figuring out how to do that along with all the initiatives and things that are still on, on the plates of so many teachers that, that can make this job um, really stressful at times. And so the goal of this little mini-series and, and part of this podcast is we're going to be spending the next six weeks diving into not just in the course but here in the podcast um, on some amazing ways in which we can begin to infuse play and hands-on learning and start to share and build networks with people from all over the world. And and for this particular episode, I am speaking with a good friend of mine who is literally on the other side of the world. Um, it's, it's, it's always crazy. Um, and I'll have Rob introduce himself here in a minute. And it was crazy talking to my kids um, actually over dinner, explaining how at the time of this recording, it's it's evening of, of a Sunday at my time. And it's, you know, Monday is a whole nother day um, where we're, we're where Rob is, and so um, Rob, let's just dive into the action because I could I could talk time zone and craziness all day long, which no one really wants to hear about. Um, so Rob, why don't you jump in and let everybody know who you are and uh, what you do? Okay, my name's Rob Torok. Uh, I'm a teacher at uh, a senior secondary school here in Tasmania, Australia, 
Uh, I also work part-time for Lego Education and I also work part-time for Tufts University on the Lego Engineering website. Yeah, so you do just a few things in terms of engineering and, and Lego and, and you're, you're heavily involved in so many things. We were just talking before we hit record about you, know, you, you were diving into doing some FRC work um, and everything else. And so you literally have uh, your hands on about every single Lego pot that you could possibly have. <laughs> Uh, look, it's, it's pretty good when your hobby can become part of your job. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know. I mean, and, 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 and it's sort of, it's a good, good topic to be talking about, you know, creativity and play and all that sort of thing. Cause you know, for me, it's, uh, it's a no brainer that, that, you know, if you can bring, uh, if you can bring activities that you inherently want to do anyway and, and find the learning in that, uh, you know, and, and bring that into the classroom, uh, then it's a hell of a lot easier to sell it to the students. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if you're enjoying doing it, you're you're feeling motivated to to learn about it. Then you know that that's a great role modelling uh, for the students as well. Um, yeah. So if I can come in, you know, at the end of a a weekend and you know be really proud about how I've levelled up in in some skill that uh, you know may or may not impress the students, um, but I think that sort of enthusiasm is is good. Yes, I mean that energy that you talk about. I mean that that's that's so vital, especially in in so many classrooms in, in this day and age, where I think a lot of educators have felt like they they can't always bring their their true nature of who they are, the things that they're excited about, and and I think what you ta- talked about is is so essential that whether kids find the things cool or not, they 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 know that that authentic energy. Like kids are the best people or best people readers, you know, on, on the face of the earth. And so if you're excited, like that naturally just kind of infuses energy within the class right away. Um, and I know that, that, that you work with, what's the, the grade level? You're working with primarily 16 through 19 year olds in, in your, in your teaching job. I know you do a lot of things. Um, but yeah, that's right. So, okay. so yeah, I teach year 11 and 12 uh, students for computer science and engineering design. And the engineering design is is really built around software engineering, I guess. So it's it's Lego based robotics, uh, and then we do a bit of Arduino and Microbit, uh, and doing some game design sort of stuff in that. But that that's a sort of yeah, sixteen to eighteen or or sometimes nineteen year olds. Uh, and I also do an after school robotics club as well. So that extends up into FRC territory, but. Uh, up until this point, I've mainly been working with the younger students, so the grade fives up to about grade seven or eight, that group, and we've been doing Lego Mindstorms-based challenges with them. Okay. So so talk to me a little bit about the idea of creativity. I know it's, it's something that everybody talks about. Um, I think every educator tries to find ways to infuse creativity into lessons and obviously try to bring that out with their students. And so in, in, in your particular case, in, in your engineering course, what have been some things that you have found um, to be helpful, whether like they're challenges that, that you use or strategies or ideas? Because I think one of those things that so many of us are, are you know, we continue to wrap our head around is, is how do we stay creative as adults? How do we stay creative as, as educators? And then also how do we bring the creativity out of our kids at the same time and it's and it's hard to constantly try to bring that a game every single day and so um in in your case what have been some things that 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 have worked out really well for you to kind of kick start that catalyst for creativity yeah so it's it's mainly about for me it's finding uh challenges or activities that are 
that are accessible enough that there's enough of a, a, a you know a way to get started so students who who you know especially at the beginning of the year um, you know, if they don't have any experience with building with a Lego or with programming. So having activities where you can get some success with very little uh, prior knowledge, but then, you know, have, have huge capacity to, to expand on them. So even if you've done the challenge before, there are new ways to do it. So, you know, that's that's kind of like the... The, the the holy grail are, are these challenges where where they're, they're easy in they're motivating you can get the idea really easy i can i can give the challenge in you know one sentence i can explain what the challenge is to do i can provide some sample code or you know sample building ideas if necessary uh but then you know we can have a brainstorm about it sometimes even before we've even started the activity like you know you know, it's got to a point where where the students understand that that you know they're going to be able to get started with this activity, and we'll get them to to this point within you know not a lot of time. So then, where could you go with this? So, so for example, um, you know, one that that I've been using over the last few years um, that's been quite good has been like a cookie clicker uh, activity. Mm-hmm. So it was originally set up as an introduction to variables so in, in the EV3. So using a variable. Uh, so you, know, you have a variable to store a number in a, in a computer program. There's a variable in the EV3 software. And the idea is we'll, we'll set that variable up to some starting value, so zero. And then we will just wait till the button's been pressed. When the button's pressed, we'll take that value, we'll add one to it, and then we'll store that value again. So really simple idea. Uh, and display the, the value on the screen. So you press the button and the number goes up. Well, big deal. But... Um, yeah, it's amazing the ideas then students can come up with to extend that, uh, to turn it into a game, to make it a race game, um, you know, to make it a, a multiplayer game, to have some random elements in there. So there's a golden cookie or a burnt cookie or, or you know, automate it so that it automatically counts up. But if you press the button, it, it goes up faster. Um, you know, all these little variations. And then, you know, doing the same sort of thing with a reaction timer type game where, where you know, I'll show you how to make a basic reaction timer and then, you know, what could you do with this? And then, you know, students are making memory games or, or a game like Simon Says or, or a, you know, two-player reaction timer, um, see who can react the fastest or, or doing it multiple times and recording your average reaction time. Um, you know, so that those have been some of the, the best ones. Yeah, I like that because you know it, it reminds me of something that that I've been I've been thinking about and using a lot in my own kind of thinking through my own practices and ideas. Is something that I heard um, from from Gary Steger. The idea of like a, a, a good prompt is, is is all you really need when it comes to education. And so the idea of you with that clicker concept, right? It's it's simple. Kids can wrap their head around it, but really it's such a high ceiling. Like when they, I mean, the ideas of what they can generate from there is really what we're after. Um, you know, and if we think about the idea. Of, of creativity, you know, something that we, we talked about before, you know, what do you do for those kids without prior knowledge? I mean, we have to build that, these, these kind of, I think of them as like baby steps, like, so the kids start to get that confidence in themselves to believe it, like, oh, I actually can do this, you know, and so if we can kind of not just help them with their creativity, but also their confidence within themselves, because there's so many kids that just don't think they can do this, you know, and whatever this might right. be. Um, and so those quick little hits, you know, um, and as you're, you know, as you're talking through that clicker thing, I mean, we could even take it down to that level that 
many of us have probably experienced at some point, you know, with, with the simple um, concept of like a Lego duck, right? Where you have your six pieces and you make your Lego duck. And it's always amazing to me. I've, I've now built thousands of these ducks in workshops and how diverse every duck build is. And it's such a, 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 a powerful visual for people in a room when you get all the ducks together and go, oh my gosh, you know, we've got 40 people in the room or 30 people in the room and we've got 40 different looking ducks. Um, and I know... Um, you're writing about this, and then the blog will probably be live by the time we publish this podcast. But if not, we'll get the links out at the time being. But you use the Lego Duck activity as well, too. Um, yeah, yeah, for um, sure. As well. And so what what have been some things that, that have been some aha moments for you using that? Because I think that it's important, too, that we, that we talk about things maybe that just aren't EV3. You know, you and I right, can talk sure. EV3 all day long. But if you're a, <laughs> a second grade uh, elementary teacher that hasn't used EV3, um, you know, they're probably sitting there going, okay, but what about, I have this, this, this bin of Legos, what can I do with it? So, so talk, talk a little bit about the Lego duck and, and some of the things that, that have come your way through using that activity at the beginning of, of, of your class. Yeah, sure. So this is a, a classic, you know, it's a, a Lego education, uh, classic Lego education activity. Um, and so, yeah, it's six, six bricks, um, you know, they're just your normal regular bricks. There's one that's got some eyes on the side, but which I think helps. But, you know, it's just amazing that you can get so many different configurations and options. I just wouldn't have credited it if I hadn't seen it for myself. Right. You know, and as you say, yeah, I've done it with workshops with, you know, 50 or 100 people and, and you know, hardly any ducks are the same. So basically what, what it is, you know, given the six pieces, the challenge is build a duck. Uh, and usually I'll frame it in terms of, you know, without looking at the person next to you, which is probably the only time I'll ever say that. Um, and we can come back to that point in a moment. But, uh, you know, so without looking at the person, you know, what the person next to you is doing, take those six pieces and build a duck. So it's a very quick challenge, only, you know, need 60 seconds or so to, to build the duck. And then everybody comes up to the front of the room, we stand around. And normally the question I ask is, you know, well, what do you notice? And, you know, it's invariably very obvious that, that you know, what, what, what is so striking is just that the variety, the diversity of solutions. Um, you know, and so and occasionally someone will build one upside down. Um, that, that, you know, and that, that's, that's my favorite. Um, yeah variations of the upside yeah just the the thought of actually building uh you know lego building they call it studs not on top any any sort of building where you you put bricks sideways or upside down or whatever ever um you know so yeah i think that's great just sort of thinking out the box um yeah and you get some very avant-garde ones as well but lots that do actually look quite a bit like ducks um yeah with only the same six pieces you know that so many variations so um so yeah, we celebrate diversity of solutions, um, you know, and that 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 can be quite simple. You don't need, uh, you know, a huge amount of materials to come up with a diversity of solutions, uh, and and you know we celebrate that. And so then that's what what I encourage on all my tasks. So, you know, I've got a bunch of intro tasks that are probably no more complicated than that. You know, it might take a little bit more time, or like five minutes instead of one minute or or ten minutes. Things like building a tower or building a sturdy structure that can survive uh, a gentle push off a table. Um, variations where, you know, I might have everybody working in pairs, but they've got to put their 
their non-dominant hand behind their back, or if I'm cruel, their dominant hand behind their back, and you know, using the two of them working together, have to build X. You know, an X might be build the tallest tower or whatever. Um, the other one I'll do very often too is, is talking about building X. Is you know, build an animal or build a, 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 a building or a you know a historical monument or a, or build something representing a hobby or an interest of yours or building something representing you know, if if I've done this at a at a at a conference where people have come from around the world you know or from different states uh, you know build something that represents your your part of the world or some family heritage or whatever you know so it's things to to get people talking you know what did build something representing something you did during the holidays or the vacation so you know, it's, um, you know, as an icebreaker activity, there's no, there's no right or wrong answers. Um, and that sort ser- serves a second purpose too, of getting you a chance to get familiar with the materials. So whether it's Lego or whether it's something else you're working with, um, you know, you, you need some experience with the materials before you can conceive of, of what's possible, you know? So, you know, it used to bug me a lot as a student coming through school and, and even in my early teaching days, this sort of idea that, you know, students are meant to follow um, almost like the waterfall model of of, of project management where right. you, you're meant to design it um, and then plan it out, you know, get all your materials and then you build it and then you evaluate it. But if I've never worked with, say, clay before and I've never glazed a pot before, how the heck am I meant to know what, you know, what's even possible, you know, until I've actually built something? So, you know, let me just play with the materials first, <laughs> chuck it in the in the kiln. I, 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 look, I don't know anything. About it. Like my uh, my uh, lack of knowledge about working with clay here should be pretty self-evident. <laughs> but, you know, so I wouldn't even know what was possible, right? So I need to start with something and then iterate on that. Yes. Uh, and so I think having lots of little challenges, early, especially early in the year, you know, I like challenges that, that can be done and dusted within a lesson uh, and then build it up um, over time. Yeah. I know I was doing um, – I was I got to hang out with my, my youngest daughter. She's, she's second grade. Um, they had a, a week where they're bringing in parents to talk about what they do for a living for part of their, their economic or their – one of their, their classes they were working on just try to learn what people do for jobs and so I came in I basically told them I get to play for a living um, and I gave all the kids Lego duck kits and you know we went through the whole gauntlet and and to me what was so um, incredibly awesome was this the second grade class I mean I'm not kidding where I've I mean you probably have to I've I have seen thousands of ducks over doing workshops and PD over my time and these second graders built some of the most clever ducks and I I didn't take any pictures. I wish I, I really kicked myself for not getting permission ahead of time to do so. It was so cool what they were coming up with, you know, and just, they were just, it was just amazing to me. Um, and one of the things I talked about that teacher was you, you need to go and get them all together on a table and take a picture. And then you can start at the beginning of a school year, you know, um, this type of year is a little tough to do. And I would say you could have this picture and talk about how we all have the right answers inside of us and they could all, all look and feel different, but they're still right, um, you know, 
know, because because there are ideas and using that like kind of like a, as a poster to, to to develop norms for your classroom, you know, and this idea right away at the beginning of the school year that you know you could create, you know, this classroom culture where you know you're teaching kids that it's okay to express yourself and to share your ideas. Because um, I just think that that that's so pivotal, um, especially as we're trying to bring out creativity in kids. And, and in order for that to happen, they have to feel safe, you know. Mm -hmm. um, as, as they go through that and you know the other thing that I wanted to respond to you were talking about you have to be able to play with the materials kind of you're talking about with the clay and, and, and all that good stuff and um, it, it reminded me of I was having a, a conversation with an amazing educator friend of mine and she was trying to teach her kids design thinking and then they were going to make um, with newspaper and tape these chairs and so the kids are spending all this time going through the process to teach the design thinking process, you know, and then they go and start making. And, of course, it doesn't work according to plan um, because nothing ever does in, in, ever in, any, in reality. <laughs> and I said, well, what if you just gave them the materials right away and just tell them they have to make a chair? And you yeah. know full well it's not going to work. Uh, because, but most of them have never modeled anything out of newspaper and tape. And then from there, now they need the design thinking because a leg's going to fall off or the tape. Yeah, you yeah. know structures, but now they're they they know what they need to fix. You know they know what yeah. they need to do. Yeah. They're comfortable with it, and now the design process doesn't feel so tedious. Where you're like, okay, here's this you know this packet. Um, and and not, I mean I love we all use the design process all the way, so I don't mean that in a negative light, but just re-engineering. Uh, you know the, the the learning process. A lot of what you were talking about these quick builds. Get the get them in their hands. Get them feeling good. You know, and it is it just takes you'll be able to get that deeper learning faster by taking some of that time up front just to give them time to explore. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like I used to fall into the trap of having challenges or activities, uh, you know, in Australia where RoboCup Junior is big here, um, and, you know, and I used to use that and, and a RoboCup Junior challenge, e.g., you know, robotic soccer or or rescue with line following and and that sort of thing. Uh, that could take a term or two working on one of those challenges. And, uh, you know, I'd fall into the trap of of doing challenges like that or on that scale and that, that time, time length. And, you know, if, it didn't matter how long, it took me years to work this out, it didn't matter how long students had on a project, they would always get to the end, the, the due date, and they'd go, oh, if I'd only had one more week, <laughs> right? If, 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 if I just had one more, I just need another day. I Every just need, teacher's nodding their head right now, yes. <laughs> right? So, so uh, you know, if only I'd started testing earlier. Well, that, that's me thinking what they should have been saying to themselves. But, um, you know, so, that, so, so it becomes, uh, you know, so then I realized, well, okay, what if I only give them a month, right? Okay, well, if I just have one more week, okay, so I'll just give you a week. <laughs> if I only have one more day or if I only had one more week, if I give you a lesson. It actually doesn't matter how much time you've got. There's a, you know, if there's a, if there's a deadline, <laughs> you know, until you've learned how to manage time, even once you have learned how to manage right. time, you're always wanting, most people are still wanting just that little bit more time. Yep. So, um, and I think part of it is, a, I call it beating the 80-20 rule. So, you know, in the 80-20 rule, the idea is that the the last 20% of, of a project takes 80% of the time. So I flip that around and I think, well, well how about we just aim to get 80% of it done? You know, it's only going to take 20% as long. So, you know, if those numbers are about right, then what I could have done in a month, I could have done that like, say, four times, but just got it to 80%. 
And I'm going to get more educational bang for my buck out of that 80%, you know, because we're going to have an opportunity to go through the whole iteration. As you said, you know, just hand them the, the newspaper and the, the tape and build a chair and just do it. By going through that and just spending an hour on that process, you know, you've learned so much about working with the material, about managing your time. You've got an experience to share what you what you did. You get greater diversity of solutions if you do more iterations more often because you know it's very tempting for students just to sort of latch onto the first idea they had and just stick with that you know and I'm, like if you had 10 ideas for a game that you were going to make you know what's the chance that the very first idea is going to be the best out of those 10 you know it's probably more like one in 10 if you don't if you know if nothing else is equal or maybe as time goes on you're more likely to get a better result later anyway right um, so what you want to do is I think you want to fast track those ideas. Again, you know, brainstorming for diversity of solutions, grab something, try it out, and then get it to 80% and then move on and do the next thing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been my approach the last, certainly the last five years doing doing this robotics and game design class that I teach now as engineering design now. Um, and that's been working well. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so give us a... Um, an example of a project and kind of like how you operate that because I'm sure there's there's many educators listening to this agreeing with so much of what you have to say. Uh, some of them might be thinking, maybe, man, I maybe I need to maybe try restructuring some things around because what you're saying, Rob, I think makes makes a lot of sense in terms of um, how do we get the biggest bang for our buck as educators with the time that we do have with kids. And so, could you maybe walk us through like. You know, not your whole curriculum, but maybe just this one of those projects, and 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 kind of what is what's that look like if if we were a student in your class, you know, um, you know, I, maybe pick one that, that that's easy to explain, um, so that we can wrap our head around like a concrete example of what you just said of how that looks like in an actual classroom for a teacher. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, can I go back to the reaction timer sure. example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, 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 that's one of my favorites. Yep, stick um, with that one. So, but, but uh, it's just that's a sort of EV3 it's technical okay. one. I don't know yep. whether that's all right. But, yep. but basically, within on the EV3 brick, there's an idea of a timer. So you can start a timer, and it's just like starting a stopwatch, and then you can read the value of that timer subsequent to that. So you could have something that displays on the screen that says, get ready. And then when it says go, uh, the timer is started internally. And then the, the person playing has to press the button to react to it. And then we'll read off the timer and we'll display the result of that time on the screen. So, you know, you can make a simple reaction timer. So I would, I would basically give that, that sample code to my students you know, once, you know, as just an example of, okay. of how you can make a reaction timer. Uh, but then, either before or after I've actually given them that sample code, uh, I I would ask them to, to participate in some brainstorming around activities, challenges, games that they could make for themselves that build on the idea of using that reaction, that, that timer function. Okay. Uh, make it a game that involves reaction times so you know from there you know some students will come up with making a two-player game some will will do something that will do you know as i said before reaction timer repeatedly and uh and 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 average the scores or whatever uh you know some will want to turn it into a memory game or a 
um, or a Boppet style uh, Simon Says type game. Um, and so yeah, in terms of how much time that might take in my class, I would probably only spend, you know, I think uh, one or two lessons. My lessons are about 90 minutes each. Okay. So, so uh, you know, probably one or two sessions at most um, would be enough really for that. Um, so practically, you know, I've got like a handout maybe or I, or I show it on the screen, you know, here's how you do sort of the, the basic version of the code or get them to help sort of build it up. I mean, but I don't expect them to know about timers already. I mean, this is, you know, if you don't know about timers in EV3, you probably wouldn't occur to you that they even exist. So, so this is really just sort of raising awareness that they're there. And, and so this is setting up for the future if they're going to make their own game or make some sort of assistive device or, or whatever, some, some other project down the track that they've got this in their toolkit. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, but in the short term, I'm using it as an opportunity, again, to generate ideas and get them into the, the, the practice of um, generating ideas. Um, and so, you know, quickly get, get a, an idea of, you know, what sort of ideas, what sort of projects students are working on. Um, if, I mean, some might want to make some super complicated game that, you know, if I sat down with them for, for two lessons, you know, <laughs> you know, for, for, for the week, yes, we could probably make that game of Pong and, you know, make it, make it super awesome or Space Invaders or whatever it is you want to do. But, you know, that's probably, you know, not something that, that you're going to be able to nut out for yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, usually I, I can... I can get around some students or or if there are a few students doing a memory type game, you know, I could bring them up to the front of the class, show them a few techniques, um, then let them go. Okay. I might have to work. I might have to sit down with a particular group and work with them, but I'll get them up to speed. And then if there's another team that are, that are using a similar approach, could you go and see what these guys have done? Uh, so the other thing is, in general, having students look at each other's work uh, and and celebrate that, uh, you know, and kudos to you if someone wants to come up and copy what you've done. Um, so this is why I'm saying that, you know, when I'd present the duck challenge, it, it, that would be probably the only time in the year where I explicitly say don't look at anybody else's work because for the rest of the year I'm saying do look at other people's work, you know. Industrial espionage is is recommended in this class, <laughs> you know, it's – yeah, so you're not only permitted to to copy other people's work, you're expected to copy other people's work. But at the same time, you know, we're celebrating that if you come up with a and valuing unique solutions as well. But you know, if you're getting stuck, there's no shame in in having a look at what someone else has done and and do be prepared to share what you've done with others to help them. Because usually, what happens is people go, "Oh, I want to do something like that." You know, so someone's making a Simon Says game. Um, you know, I want to make a Boppet game. And so, you know, my job is to go, oh, well, they're doing Simon Says, you're doing Boppet. But actually the, the underlying code that you need, uh, the, the sort of structure to get you started is up to you. But then there's still so much diversity. You know, some people are very clear that they want it only to be uh, voice, uh, sort of sounds that are, that are triggering what you do. Some gotcha. want to use the screen. Um, some, it's really important to make it cheat proof. You know, so they get really hung up on how do we stop people cheating this game. Uh, for others, they don't care about that. They they just want to uh, you know have the display nice. Um, yeah. So how do how do kids respond to that that idea of that uh, I like that industrial espionage? The idea that we we embrace 
working together, sharing and, and, and learning from one another because um, whether it's intentional or unintentional and every school and, and has its own feel, you know, that's that's not common practice. We are ingrained, you know, when I think of myself as a student, you know, to think about looking at someone else's work or asking for their answers, you know, was, was so not, ex, you know, you were not supposed to do that. That's cheating and you're going to fail and, and all these things. And so um, do kids respond to that right away in your class? Does, does that take some, 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 I don't want to say push and prodding um, or how, how long is that of that curve? Because I, I would assume that that's not the same message that they're shared through all their classes. Um, no, that's right. Um, look, it's hard. I mean, no, no kids say to me, oh, you know, I, I, don't, I, you know, I wouldn't cheat or I don't cheat or I don't, <laughs> you know, so it's not that. It's just that it doesn't occur to them to get up out of the seat and go and have a look. And maybe it's a bit of shyness as well. And, you know, they're just not comfortable going up to somebody on the other side of the room who they don't know and going, hey, how do you do da 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 So breaking that down, celebrating it, um, you know, it's, it's really nice. I, like I've probably – strangely enough i've actually had more success with that in my computer science class weirdly enough where i think um i think i don't know whether it's just the students uh, but for, for the last few years in my computer science classes i've been giving equivalent sort of i've been structuring my practical tasks uh, practical programming tasks in computer science in a very similar way so here's some basic code and then uh, you know, do some stuff to, to, to change it or fix it up because I've deliberately put some mistakes in there. So get it working. And then, you know, step two is add this feature to it to make it do X. And then step three is is just show me something amazing. Like just go, just just add some special sauce to this. And, uh, you know, and you get a bonus point. If you, if you add something that we haven't seen before or that amazes other people in the class, uh, that's great. You know, so it's very open-ended and, you know, I have students for the first prac in my computer science class, I have students doing things equivalent to previous years, major projects. Um, because you know, the first project is like draw a house. And so I'll have some students that will turn in, uh, programs where there's, yeah, there's, there's houses drawn in the background, but there's actually a character that you control and zombie swarms coming at them. <laughs> and, and so it's like way beyond what, you know, a minimum requirement for, for a major project to, to pass the course, actually to pass the course really well, uh, you know, for prac one and uh, it'll happen every year. And, uh, and the other students, uh, you know, amazed. And I have to like, I have to just reassure those that are complete newcomers to programming this is okay. You're not expected, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, so th so that's the other side of it too, of course. Um, you know, the demotivational <laughs> effects of of having some really creative responses in your class. You know, it can feel quite intimidating if you see something amazing. You think, oh, I could never do that. And so I'm I'm really wary of that as well. And and just reassuring people that look, it's okay. You know, if you don't have a zombie swarming game by the end of first term, that's that's fine. That's that's, uh, that's well above par for this course, and uh, you're not alone. Um, you know, so uh, but look, be inspired by it. You know, I'm going to have a look how that, how they did it. You know, so if you if you see that the the houses are random colours, and you're wondering how the heck did they do that random colour, um, you know, so can I have a look at your code for that? Um, yeah. 
And I think that that's something that that's really really important as as we're all trying to figure out ways to you know infuse more creativity and hands-on learning and that student voice and agency within their own learning systems. And um, I think that that's really a critical thing that we have to make sure as as the the adult in the room, the educator, that we celebrate everybody's successes. You know, everybody has their own point A trying to get to their own point B. And, and you mm. know, um, and maybe I can't create that zombie game, but if I were able to overcome something that I've been struggling with, um, you know, it's really important. And, it's, you know, it's really important that, that we get acknowledged for that as well. Mm. And I think that's just something that's, that's hard to do as a teacher. Um, but, man, it's really important um, – to be cognizant of that and not just celebrate the mind-blowing breakthroughs because some kid happens to maybe have mom and dad that are programmers or that's just their passion and that's what they do for fun, um, you know, and everything under the sun. We can apply that to, to any content area. Um, but I think that's, that, that's, that's really, really crucial to, to keep keeping that, that classroom culture that, that it's safe to continue to keep working through these things and build our confidence. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about, isn't it kind of paradoxical that, you know, you can get more creativity by allowing people to, to look at each other's work? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, I like, think about how, that. That's like where I get half my ideas from. You know, it's, I think that's like why I love going to conferences and, and, and listening to someone share their ideas. And all of a sudden my head goes, explodes with 10 of my own ideas or the beauty of, of YouTube. I mean, that's why YouTube is, I think, so monumental. I don't know how to do something. I look it up. I, I see it. And then I go, well, I can do that better or I can do it this way. You know, and I just it, there's and yet that it's it's still just not um I don't know what the word is. It's 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 not uh, the norm in schools, unfortunately. I mean, it's still very cast down upon to to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, look, it's 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 interesting. I think it's it comes from uh, this idea that knowledge is you know you just open the the kid's skull and you pour the knowledge in, and and also I mean I, I'm a maths teacher first, and you know I reckon us maths teachers have a lot to answer for in this regard in terms of schoolifying content you know I, I suspect there'll be some some people listening to this who go okay well, that's all great but you know in maths it's you know we can't do creativity in maths because you know there's one right answer and and so you know i come across this in computer science too you know we're, we're doing binary we're basically doing maths uh in computer science we're, we're doing it in base two and so i'm handing out worksheets that have one right answer questions um throughout them and yeah that doesn't really promote creativity greatly so so it is a challenge to you know how do you frame uh, you know maths questions so that they foster creativity um actually and that just reminds me of an example if i can can share it oh um, absolutely go for it yeah there was, okay so this is this is just sort of just sprang to mind was um you know, one example I saw where where we were uh, we were at a teacher professional development, and we were given a page, and there were six graphs on the page, and they were graphs of average. Uh, it might have been like average daily temperatures, or every uh, I think it was daily temperatures, uh, or daily or, or the amount of sunlight, or something. No, maybe daily temperatures um, for each month of the year for a particular city. So each graph was a different city around the world going January through to December and showing and showing sort of average daily minimum and maximum temperatures. So, you know, for, for cities that were, were close to the equator, there wouldn't be a lot of variation. For cities in the southern hemisphere, they'd be hotter in in uh, December 
in January and cooler in June, July and, and vice versa in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, and so, yeah, so the six cities and, you know, we weren't told, we, you know, we were told what the what the scale meant. But, you know, the, the stuff I just said about cities on the equator and cities north and south, that, that information wasn't told to us. We were just given these graphs and asked to and maybe we were given a list of six cities as well uh, with the graphs. And as a table group, we were asked to work out which graph corresponds to which city. Okay. So, you know, a lot of discussion ensued and people would say, well, look, you know, I know I've been to to this city and I know that da, 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 or this part of the world. And, you know, people would know that, you know, someone might know that the boss, you know, for example, I happen to know that Boston and Hobart are at very similar, or basically the same latitude, but one's north, one's south. And but then there are variations in temperature because of the land mass and all that sort of business. So people were bringing in their personal experiences. Now, compare that to a a typical, you know, that question, the, the equivalent of that question in a textbook might have been, here's a graph for one city in the world, right. you know, which month <laughs> was the maximum, which was the minimum, what was the temperature in February, um, da, 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 you know, and just answer these, you know, so there were one right answer. Now, sure, in this particular, you know, the graphs I've said, they were graphs for particular cities, there was one right answer, but the value of it came from the discussions and the sharing your personal experience, you're a lot more invested in it. You got all the same learning in terms of being able to interpret a graph, um, but you know it was, it was much richer. And then you, you know the challenge could be right. You create one of these sheets for yourself. You know, go and find the data and and prepare it to you know see if you can stump your friends or whatever. Right. Yeah, and I think there's there's something really to that idea of the the opportunities for that that to have that chance of a, of a conversation. Um, you know, I think back to even when I was back in my, my youngest daughter's classroom where we were doing the Lego duck builds and I gave the challenge they had to make anything but a duck. And this one kid made this giraffe and really awesome giraffe out of six pieces. And he, we were all sharing our ideas. And then for some reason, giraffe happened to be the cool thing of the day. And all these kids started making these giraffes. Like, oh, I, well, you could do this. But this whole I thing of just, just being willing to share like kids do that innately like it's just who they are like uh, whether you know whether they want their teacher to see it or their parents to see it or one another and it's not so much of trying to one-up one another but it just kind of like this you know the idea of like Seth Godin's concept of like, like the idea virus you know and looking at that chart and just having all these people share their their personal experiences not only are you breaking down the charts but you're you're also like learning about each other you're learning about parts of the world and maybe even a little thing here and there that you never would have thought about that maybe spirals to uh, just just a, a new pathway of learning that you know was maybe the intended outcome of the lesson but man the byproduct is ends up being just as valuable as as as, as the actual outcome so i think that's that's something that is, is really really important um for all of us to continue to think through is that you know that processing time. That where do how do we build the, the the parts into our day to allow one another to share and to have conversation and and to engage in dialogue around ideas to see like what could it trigger what what it, what could that lead to next? Um, and that's hard to do in a day and age where we all feel pressured to get so much in and in such little time. Um, but you know I keep coming back to the idea you said earlier. You know, how do we get the biggest bang for our buck? And and there are opportunities there. Just letting kids you know, generate ideas together as well as ourselves as educators. That's why we're doing this podcast and this is why we're doing the class. Um, you know, that the whole thing is that it spurs new thoughts and, and, and new ideas. 
Yeah, look, and I say that the other thing I'm really big on is the idea of purpose. So, you know, being really honest about, you know, what is the purpose of this actual, this activity, this task that I'm doing? Um, you know, so like my reaction time a task, you know, that was to introduce an aspect of the programming, um, you know, my drawing a house challenge in, in, uh, in computer science, you know, that's just to get them familiar to, to working with the programming language and the, and the programming language environment. Um, you know, if it's given them some some newspaper and some tape, it's just getting them familiar with, you know, in a one hour challenge, you know, right. is just to get introduce the idea of the, 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 the design thinking process and get them familiar with the materials. And, uh, you know, same as the build a duck challenge. Uh, but I love the uh, build not a duck challenge. <laughs> yeah. And I actually do that. as <laughs> I think a that way. never occurred to me, but that's yes. great. And it's a really great activity to do with educators, um, especially we talk about um, the messages that we send in the classroom. And so um, normally I will do that build a duck challenge right away. Um, and everybody builds their duck and we take the picture and we get all excited. And then we'll do a couple other little builds, this some hands-on stuff. And then I say, now I want you to build anything but a duck. And so many of them struggle because actually what I've just planted in their brain is the visual of a duck by saying, not a duck, or the unduck <laughs> challenge. And they really struggle to come up with something that isn't a duck. And I, it's a short amount of time, like 30, 45 seconds. And so then we end up talking about the unintended messages that we convey through the way we oh. communicate. So what are things that we get frustrated that things aren't happening at our classroom or our school, but yet maybe the message, the way we're delivering it is, is leading that outcome to happen um, unintentionally, you know, and then we can get into, you know, I want you to be creative, but my rubric states that you must have three of this and two of this and one of this. Um, and right. so I'm telling you to be creative as long as it's, you know, and it's not that you're a, a liar. It's not that your rubric's bad, but like how, what are we doing? What are we saying? Um, What's our actions look like? And that's, uh, it usually leads to some really powerful conversations. Um, some people just that's naturally build some great that. stuff. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I've actually, I've actually sort of run into a bit of a trap this year with my engineering design classes. I've been, I've tried to be more explicit about how the, these intro challenges we're doing at the, at the start of our, our, our school year here, um, how they tie into the, the, course um, criteria uh, and, and I don't think that's helped like in the past I've actually just said right we're just doing this challenge and you know if, if it's making a robot that can climb the steepest slope right you know one point if it can you know start when you press the touch sensor another point if it can climb steeper than this angle another one if it can climb steeper than this another one if it stops automatically at the top of the slope or or whatever it is and and away you go and then I've worried about how do I map that to the 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 curriculum and you know I'm I'm mindful I was I, I was mindful at the start of this year that I haven't been explicit enough in terms of how that's going to actually get assessed at the at the end of the term and so you know I do need to do that but but by you know giving them big rubrics with all these things that you have to do and have to satisfy and have to demonstrate I I don't know that it's helped. Um, so yeah, that's that's tricky that one. Yeah, it's, I mean it's definitely um, it's a slippery slope I think, and I always try to put myself like if I would you know was back in the classroom and you know hopefully at some point in the future I'll be I'll be back in there to get to do the have classes like yours that you teach. You know it's you we still have, we still have to prove that kids are learning, um, so we can't just be like yeah I know they're learning because that doesn't work either. That doesn't doesn't make the the school system and the reporting of the grades any easier. But we we 
but if you give all that, I always feel like sometimes it feels like it just it like constricts your brain. Like, how do I even think through this when I've got this mm. one page rubric loaded with all these words of what I'm supposed to do, yet I'm supposed to also build this robot that maybe I've just seen for the first time. Like it just seems like so much and mm. you know, it's always mm. how do we how do we get them to document the process? It doesn't feel tedious. Um where it's yeah, like yeah. the tedious like yeah. we spend more time documenting than building and learning, but you know, here's the, at the end, here's the standard. Um, you just completed this challenge. How do you, you know, is it, can we, can we throw it back on them? Can you explain how you met it? Like, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I agree with you. There's, I wish I could be like, well, yeah, here's, here's the magic, uh, you know, the magic bean that gives you all everything you need to know. But I think I agree. It's hard. It's, it's definitely a, the struggle that we all face. Um, you know, I think the whole concept of assessments is the monster that everybody, wants help in but it's really hard to provide that help um because it just it's, yeah. it's so tricky yeah so still working on that one that's a work in progress <laughs> but but i think you know when it's working all right so when when things are working in the classroom i mean if students are going home and telling their family about what they did in class today of their yes. own of their own <laughs> without it being pried out of them that's a bit of a hint something's gone right, right. you know so uh, right. and and that's coming back to what you were talking about the the ideas spreading you know so the ideas spreading within the classroom but if they spread outside the classroom too you know so you know the fact that my one class last year turned into two classes uh this year you know gives me a bit of a hint that something was working i think yeah, um, yeah and i think it just comes yeah. back to that um those conversations we have among ourselves and even like internal dialogue. I mean, there's, there's nothing better that than when something that you've created in your head, whether you got that idea from yourself or from someone else actually works, there is no better mm. feeling. And I always, you know, equated to when I do workshops and I have a room full of adults and they get an led light to turn on. Um, and you would think that we just had, 30 people win a million dollar jackpot um, because it feels really good when things work, no matter how simple the concept might be if you've never done it before. Um, and so right. I think it's those mini celebrations that, you know, cement the learning and, and, and so much of what we're doing. And to me, those have the, lo- the bigger impact than did you get a three out of four or a four out of four because no one really cares two weeks later. You know, like we just, we just, we're just ingrained to move on. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so one last thing. So that triggers another thought (laughs) is that I'm really big on the idea that uh, you have to know what the problem is before uh, you know you get to worrying about the solution. So in maths, we're we're terrible. uh, Sorry, mathematics or math. um, You know, we're terrible (laughs) at at uh, giving students the the solution which is the method to actually find the answer to to some question before they even understand what the problem is. Mm-hmm. You know, so we go, right. So here's, here's the quadratic formula. Um, da, 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 away you go, uh, plug the numbers in, um, you know, he, or here's long division or he's, uh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, uh, but why, <laughs> you know, why, not, not the, not, not the, I don't mean it in the sense of, um, you know, when are we ever going to use this? Because right, I think that's no. a question students actually only ask when they're bored yeah. or, or they're frustrated or annoyed. I don't think students ever ask that because <laughs> they actually, well, sorry, maybe, maybe sometimes students actually do mean it sincerely. But in my experience, students don't ask that question about the most abstract stuff if they're enjoying it. Mm. You know, if you're enjoying it and you're just getting on with it, you don't say, well, you're not watching a movie going, when am I ever going to use this? Or, or I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. So, it's a good so, point. Yeah. 
but, but uh, so what I'm talking about is the idea of, uh, I guess, struggle or something. You know, you appreciate a sh- the shortcut through the thicket more once you've actually tried and struggled to get through the thicket for yourself. Uh, so, you know, I think you have to have time to understand what the problem is. So, you know, if you can, if you can explain the problem quickly, like, you know, we want to make a reaction timer that's a game, uh, or we want to make a game that's a reaction timer, I probably should have said it that way around, or we want to make a cookie clicker game, or we make we want to make a robot that climbs up the steepest slope. Um, you know, those are, are, are very tangible, easy ideas to grab, and you can, you can tell what success looks like, you know, you can, it's right. very obvious. To, to any student, you know, what success looks like because they'll have a robot that can climb up or they'll have a game that people want to play. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot harder in mathematics with a quadratic formula, uh, you know, understanding what the problem actually is that the quadratic formula is there to help you solve. Uh, you know, and oftentimes you can you could spend years of, of learning factorization techniques and, and all this sort of stuff before you ever realise you really get sort of what it was we were trying to do conceptually because um, it's, it's very easy for mathematics teachers just to gloss over all that, I think. Yeah. No, I think it's it's um, that's a really, really um, good reflection piece, I think, whether we're teaching math or, or science or, you know, or even our, our literacy skills. What What is it that we're trying to, to solve in the first place? Um, and almost kind of reverse engineer that to, in, in, to some degree. Um, so that kids can kind of see like, oh, you know, like you can kind of lead them towards that path of, of, of that thinking or that, that skill or that content. Um, but they can also feel like they're in the driver's seat well through, through the means of discovery. And so maybe a lot of that for us as educators is, is to think through what is that problem and then how do I stage my classroom in a way that they're moving through all these different pathways to, to uncover the solution itself, which is what we're being asked to teach, you know, in the first mm. place when we get our, our, our standards or, our, you know, curriculum packs and guides, whatever it is that everybody has to face. So I think that's, that's, that's some, some really good things is, I think for us to think about, um, you know, as, as we think about our, once again, our classroom and our practices of just another way of, of thinking about how do we frame what, mm. what is the learning going to look like in our classroom? Um, and all these ideas that we've shared and talked about, you know, not, not one of these is better than the other, but, um, you know, hopefully it's triggered some thought for those of us that, that are listening in and, and trying to think through, you know, so many of us are trying to find new ways to stay current and innovative and, and creative in our own teaching practices. And, um, you know, I think it's a great reminder that we're all, we're all, you know, kind of grappling with these concepts. You know, none of us have a clear-cut answer because there's nothing clear about it, and it's okay, but we continue to share these ideas, and that's, you know, how the light bulbs start to trigger and go off, which, which in return, you know, empower one another. Yeah, look, and I'd, I'd just say, I mean, it sounds like we might be sort of heading towards wrapping up, but, um, you know, I think uh, an, another thought occurred to me is that I think trust is really important as well, you know, trusting yourself, trusting the students, uh, being prepared, you know, so, you know, I've seen, seen my sons benefit greatly from, from teachers who've bought the, the 3d printer at the school and just said, right, you go for it, you, you work it out, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, getting it set up and, and learning how to use it, uh, you know, and what they've learned out of that and the, the confidence boost and, and, and then the projects that have come out of that, um, that, that experience and that opportunity, um, you know, I think that's amazing. Um, yeah, isn't that? I mean, no matter what we talk about, no matter who I talk with, it always comes back to 
this this fundamental principle of trust, which really is equating to a, a positive relationship. In order to have trust, you have to have a, a relationship. And so if you don't have that, I mean, nothing is going to take off. If a kid doesn't feel um, the sense of trust and the sense of a relationship between that educator and then, and that and the students, um, nothing is really going to excel to that next level. You know, it's it's hard to open up yourself to new creative thought or new learning um, if you don't feel that there's someone in the room that doesn't care about you. Um, and so I think you know, as you think about that trust and yeah, handing over the 3D printer, that's amazing, but that only works. I mean, if, if your son was not a fan of that educator, that probably still doesn't maybe take off the way it has, um, you know, but clearly yeah. there was trust there from the educator to your son as well, or, you know, and the group of kids they worked with, that there was this trust going, hey, I'm going to give you this expensive piece of equipment to figure out, like, that's awesome. And so it's, it, it, it is a two-way street, um, you know, and I think that's, it comes back to that cornerstone time and time again and it's easy to gloss over it it's easy to call it a cheesy little thing that we we read quotes on and all the time but man it, it's it, it is the it's it's the foundation blocks for all these other things to actually get them where we want them to go well rob this has been phenomenal um man we could i could talk to you all day long it's always <laughs> a pleasure to to chat with you um but as, as we kind of wrap this up, I know people are going to have questions. They're going to want to check out your work and, and all this good stuff, and we'll definitely make sure we get it all in the show notes. Um, where is it that, that, that people can um, track you down and find some of your work um, if they want to know more about what it is that you've got going on? Yeah, so as it happens, I've I finally got myself organized enough to uh, to actually blog about how I run my class. Uh, so I've had a few other teachers over the years you know, ask me, you know, how do I do this or that challenge? And I've given them my my uh, course guide, you know, my scope and sequence or whatever, listing all the challenges that I do. But I know what all those mean. So it's all in shorthand that, was, you know, meant something <laughs> to me. And so they'd, they'd come back to me and go, what, what do you mean silly walks? Or, you know, what do you mean cookie clicker? Or what do you mean da-da-da-da-da? And, and sometimes they're asking me about challenges that I've never run with my students, that I put on this document once <laughs> four years ago. And I'm looking at it going, oh, I don't know. Because yeah, every year I, I, you know, I take this uh, these materials and I, I mix them up in different ways. So anyway, so this year I finally... Uh, collected together all of those sort of email conversations that I've had over the past few years and I'm pulling pulling them all together and where there aren't um, uh, and I'm publishing them on legoengineering.com that's the short answer perfect <laughs> yes question. so 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 legoengineering.com is a site that uh, I've been editor of uh, for the last five or six years uh, it actually came me my involvement with it came out of uh, there was a video on there of uh, basically a silly walks you know sort of a robot moving without using wheels and there were the, the, there's like 43 different uh, phenotypes so different different ways of moving um, basically using the same uh, set of parts and every six months or so I'd go looking for this video to show to my students and could never find it on the Lego engineering website and so I'd send off these uh, of terse emails going look i love i love your email i love the website but and uh yeah so after about five years of that they eventually said right okay um how much do you want to to edit the site and uh so now i get yeah so for five years i've been paid uh you know like a day a week to, to look after the site so so that's got a bunch of classic robotics challenges all the sort of you know the stuff i'm talking about some of it's a bit dated needs to be updated um 
but you know i've discovered there were some gaps so silly walks which is a classic one i'll do at the start of the year uh i've just written a post on that finally uh but also you know i'm capturing sort of what i do from week to week uh, over a, a one-term robotics course um to to try to capture it so cookie clicker and reaction timer and and you know the ways i will frame these challenges and and why we'll do them that's all going to get uh described on there yeah and it's and it, it's a phenomenal website um i've glad to be i think i've had a couple things um show up on there courtesy of you and um it's it's it is a an amazing group of people so many awesome ideas if you're just looking just for for something um, new or different to do in the class. I mean, I've used it this as sources of inspiration, even if you don't even use Lego product. I mean, I, I use Lego, but I've I've taken some of those ideas and concepts and used them with 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 other materials and products too. And so it's definitely one to check out um, if you have not come across that website before, because it's it is loaded with tons of ideas and thoughts and just amazing people sharing, you know, and this big pour of why we do all this um, just to, to help one another because there's so many people that do want to help. So um, you. definitely worth your time to check that website out. So Rob, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. I look forward to the conversations that ensue after this. And, uh, you know, as always, best of luck with all that you do. And, and I know um, not just myself, but so many people that know you and so many probably uh, some new followers to come with this podcast here as well. You know, we appreciate all that you do and all the sharing and, and, and the stuff that you've got going on because it does uh, benefit so many. So, uh, you know, probably for so many people, uh, thank you for, for doing all the work that you do. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.